This morning I titled my message, The Cleansing Flood. Going back to Genesis, we're going to chapter 6 today. But before I even begin and read the scripture this morning, do I have a volunteer to open us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we praise you, Lord, for all your many, many blessings you have given us. The earth, the air we breathe. Dear God, your love is our sustaining, sustaining power. Thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings. We ask you to be with everyone here and everyone in the sound of our voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The cleansing flood, Genesis 6, verse 5 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of of his heart was only evil continually. Every intent, imagine that, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. My friends, they lacked a fear of God because every intent was evil. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. That is key. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width... 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and for you shall finish, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set a door, set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make, make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded, so he did. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. We know last Sabbath I talked about the fall of mankind and Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was only in Genesis chapter 3. 
It is amazing that here we are today in Genesis chapter 6, only three chapters later, that it's nearly 2,000 years have passed that man has become so wicked that God was sorry that He created them. I want to say this. God did not make a mistake. God does not make mistakes. But God gave man, as we learned in Genesis 3, He gave man and woman the right to choose. And man keep continually keep choosing, keep cho choosing to do evil and wicked. You know, they, they lost their fear of God. So nearly 2,000 years has passed in those three short years. The wickedness was so great that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil, continually. My friends, they allowed evil to influence them. Instead of allowing the good to influence the evil, they allowed evil to influence them. If, we'd, if I'd have read earlier in the chapter, in verse 2, it says, The sons of God saw the daughters of men and took them as wives. And what that is talking about, the sons of men that he is referring to, is the sons of Cain. We know that Cain was evil. Cain shed the innocent blood of his brother, killed his brother, but God let him live. So the sons of men was of Cain. The daughters of God was the descendants of Seth, Adam and Eve's other son that walked before God. So the sons of God saw the daughters of men and went into them, and they allowed the evilness of the daughters to influence the sons of, sons of Seth. That's too many. Yeah. But it corrupted the entire generation. But God, you know, it was... God was very long-suffering, very long-suffering with them. But God looks at the, the wickedness and says, I'm going to destroy them. But from the time that He gave Noah the command to build the ark, friends, 120 years. That's how long it took Noah to build the ark, 120 years. And in all that time, He was being long-suffering, giving them time to repent. Not only does He reveal, though, that He's merciful, but in the destruction, He's revealing that He is also the God of judgment. He will only bear with the evilness and the wickedness for so long. And we, wonder, we have to wonder, how long will He bear with us today? Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because there's not speedy execution of judgment. You know, I, I was going to ask, could you imagine the effect on crime if punishment was executed immediately? But I'm not so sure that it would make much difference. I'm not so sure. You know, let's just say someone uh, stands trial for murder and it's like, boom, as soon as they pass down the sentence, all right, get the chair ready, get the injection ready, let's take them out and get it done with. I don't know that it would make any difference in society today. I'm not so sure that it would. But it may, I don't know. I did find a New Testament example of a very speedy judgment. And it's found in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. In the early church, this is the early church, it's just beginning to grow, and many of the believers were selling some of their possessions or all their possessions and bringing them in to help care and help grow the church. Verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, 
sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So let's, I'm going to pause. So what he did, let's just say, for example, he sold that land for $10,000. So he takes $7,000 to the apostles and said, here's all the money from the land that I sold. He's lying to God. He wanted to look good. He wanted to look better than he was. He says, while it remained in while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose, wrapped him up, and carried him out, and buried him. My friends, can you imagine the shock waves that that sent through the early church? Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, you better not lie, or you might breathe your last. Amen? You better not lie, or you may breathe your last breath, they might carry you out and bury you. Now that was speedy judgment. Back to the days of Noah. My curious mind wondered, I wonder what the population was. Do you think that, he says, all mankind except for Noah, all of them have become wicked. So I, I searched on the internet and you find various guesses at what the population might be. You know, they look at how many descendants this one had and that one had. And some say that the population could have been as high as 17 billion some a little lower. So they say a reasonable estimate at the time of Noah was 10 billion people. That's a reasonable estimate that they come up with. But I will say this, even if it was 1 billion, my friends, isn't it hard to imagine that of all of those people that there was only one that was righteous before God? Even if it was 1 million, that there was only one that still would be said of that he walked with God? Verse 9, in the New King James Version read, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. The New Living Translation reads, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at that time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Does that describe your relationship with God? That you walk in close fellowship with God? Only you can answer that for you. Do you walk in close fellowship with God? Are you blameless before God? Blameless does not mean that we are completely sinless. Because we know that there's only one that was completely sinless. And that's Jesus Christ. The only one completely without sin. What it means is having integrity which is the quality of being honest. Ananias did not have integrity, did he? He wasn't honest. It is having a strong moral principle. It is being morally upright. You know, I know that most people get bored with the genealogy portion of the Scriptures, but there's an important lesson that we can learn from Noah's genealogy. 
Genesis 5, 21 through 32. And if we look at this, his ancestors, we will see that there was godly men. Verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Hallelujah. God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. Now that was an old fellow, wasn't it? Kids, you listening? 969 years. The oldest person found recorded in the Bible. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You know, many times we've discussed the importance of being godly examples, godly influences for your children and your grandchildren. And we see why it is so important here in Genesis, don't we? Enoch, we know, was godly because he was faithful to God and God took him up. He didn't even see death. Methuselah was a godly man. Lamech, a godly man, taught their sons about following God, walking with Him, being faithful to God. Hebrews talks also about Enoch. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Would you be considered one who pleased God? I have lots of questions this morning, don't I? Questions that only you can answer. Would you be considered one? When God looks down, does He consider you one who pleases Him? Do you please God? Being taken away is what Enoch is most famous for. Imagine walking with God and one day, snatched up. The only other person in the Bible that was snatched up into the heavens was Elijah, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Elijah. But Elijah was faithful and Enoch was faithful and pleased God. The Bible doesn't say why Enoch was taken away. But God has a purpose and a plan for him, I'm sure. Methuselah, again, was famous most of all for being the oldest person mentioned in the Bible. Other than that, there's little information given about Methuselah. But we know that he was a godly man and he passed down the tradition of following God to his son Lamech, who also passed it down to Noah. You know, as I said, we cover so much ground in so 
little period of time in the chapters of the Bible. And there's not a lot of history shared about men like Methuselah and Enoch and Lamech. But you, you jump forward to like God's relationship with Abraham and there's many, many, many chapters shared about Abraham's walk with the Lord. But these other men we just have to trust and know because of Noah that they were faithful to God. He was a godly man. Lamech had the hope that mankind would find comfort and rest from the toil caused by the curse upon the ground. Noah means rest. The name Noah means rest or repose. Century later, some of the descendants of Noah would hear, I should say, would hear a descendant of Noah say, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus was a descendant of Noah. He says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Let's go back to the ark. What a magnificent ship. Whether you want to call it a ship or a boat. What a magnificent structure that was. The ark was approximately 500 feet long, about 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. And you might wonder, well, why did it take 120 years to build it? Well, some of it I credit to God's long-suffering with mankind, giving them time, giving them time, time to witness Noah building this ark. What you think about it? You know, it's not just a hall with a bunch of sides. There was three levels to it. It had to have beams and girders and all these things to help support the outside walls all tied together. And they didn't have... He couldn't go down to Home Depot and order up a million board feet of gopher wood. They had to go out and cut down the trees and saw in the boards. Then the entire thing had to be coated inside and outside with pitch to seal it up. 120 years. What a building project. What a commitment. What a commitment that would take. I mean, he's basically, I mean, could you imagine committing your entire being for 120 years to build this ark? That is faith. That is commitment. Some critics might say that the ark wasn't large enough to contain all the different animals. But verses 19 and 20 said, Of every living thing of all flesh you shall take, bring two of every sort into the ark, two of every sort, to keep them alive with you. There should be male and female. Of the bird after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. So you take the horses, for example. They probably didn't have to bring in two Palominos and two Quarter Horses and two Clydesdales and all. They probably brought two horses. We have all the different breeds after the flood. But the ark, I'm sure, I know, because God gave him the dimensions, was sufficient enough to hold all the animals that God brought in. But it also was sufficient enough to carry all the food that they would need to eat for the almost a year that they was on that ark. 
The most important thing is that God told Noah to build that ark to keep them alive. To keep them alive. To preserve life. My friends, God is the God of life. And something has been, I don't know why, it probably should just be another whole sermon. But friends, God is pro-life. He is pro-life. Bring them animals in that I can keep them alive. Bring your sons and their wives, you and your wife. Why? To preserve life. To preserve life. I asked my wife this week, or I was talking with her, about abortion. And I think all they need to ask themselves, do you think it pleases God to kill an innocent baby before they have a chance at life? And if your answer is no, then you better be pro-life. You better be pro-life. Anybody that thinks it pleases God Around the world, I'm not talking about just the United States, they kill 40 million babies a year. We've often just looked at the numbers in the United States. 40 million babies are killed before they have a chance to breathe. Do you think that pleases God? Absolutely not. Because God wants to preserve life. He didn't want to destroy the earth, but they wouldn't repent. He is life. John 1, 1 through 1-4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John fourteen six, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. He is the life. God preserved life through the ark. You know, when you look out and you see these huge vessels going on in the waters today, whether it be a cruise ship or a cargo ship, they have names on them, don't they? They have names up there on that front part of the ship. My friends, if there was a name on the ark, you know what it would say? Salvation. Salvation. Because that was the salvation of mankind and the salvation of all the animals. That's what would be on there. Genesis 6.18 says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. This was the very first word of the use, very first use of the word covenant found in the Scriptures. A covenant, friends, is an agreement that involves obligations and benefits for the parties involved. The fact that God made this covenant with Noah and his family gave them the peace and the confidence that they would need during this great amount of time that it would take them to build the ark. I have a scripture that I want to share that's not going to be up on the screen. First Peter, Second Peter 2, 4 and 5. In these 120 years that Noah took to build the ark, he was not just hammering and sawing and chopping down trees every day and every day and 
nothing else. He was doing more. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. My friends, all the time that Noah's building the ark, he's continually preaching to the people. He's preaching the same thing that Jonah preached to Nineveh. Repent, repent. God is bringing judgment upon the earth. You need to repent and come in and be saved with my family and I. Can I could just, as I, I, I'm working this in my mind, as that thing begins to take shape and he's got the beams up and as it grows, he's up on the platform and he's preaching to the people, repent. But all the people did was scoff at him. Scoffed at him, made fun of him, probably thought he was a nut. Think about it. They probably thought he was a nut building the ark on dry land. Thought he'd done, went off, fell off his rocker, right? Matthew 24, 37 and 38 reads, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the floods came and took them away. My friends, Noah's building that ark, that symbol of God's salvation, and all they did, they thought life was fine. They did. They thought life is good. They had their jobs. They were marrying and giving in marriage, just having a good old time with life. And there's that huge symbol of the judgment that's going to be coming upon the earth. And all they did was scoff at Him until the time He entered the ark. Could you imagine when the rains, when God opened up the caverns of the deep and the rain started to pour out of the heaven and the flood water started to come down? Could you imagine they were pounding on that ark then, wanting in, weren't they? Pounding on that ark, Noah, let me in. But God had already closed the door. And once God had closed the door, it was too late. You try to do your own vision about this. They're scurrying to the tops of the mountains. But it keeps raining. It keeps raining. They keep going higher and higher. But the rain keeps coming down and the waters keep coming up until the tallest peak was covered with water. And every life was destroyed. God wanted to save them. Noah preached to them 120 years. But because of the hardness of their heart, they would not repent. My friends, 2 Peter chapter 3 reveals to us, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, 
look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him, found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. As Noah was blameless before God, we are to be blameless before God. That is, men and women of integrity. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord, the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. My friends, just as in the day of Noah, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming upon the earth. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We need to be Noah's. We need to be Noah's preaching. People, get ready. It's not going to be a flood, but there's going to be a cleansing fire. That is the message we, the church, must proclaim. As Noah did, people get ready. And our salvation is not a big ark, a huge ark that's 500 feet long. Our salvation is the work of Jesus Christ upon that cruel cross. And that is the message that we have. Repent. Turn from our wickedness and turn to Jesus Christ. And He is faithful and just to forgive. That is the message today. Repent. Judgment is coming. They had no fear of God. We need to pray that people will begin to fear the Lord our God and humble themselves. Humble ourselves. That's not to say them. Humble ourselves before Him. Fall at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned against You. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. That is the message the church must proclaim because judgment is coming. I'm not saying that it's tomorrow or next week, but my friends, it'll come as a thief in the night. Be assured it is coming. I don't know how long God will be long-suffering with us, but praise God for His long-suffering and His patience because that's more time to reach the lost. Let's reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.